Welcome to the Baseball Happenings Podcast. Before we get into this episode, we'd love if you could click subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show, as well as check us out on social media. We're at Examine Baseball on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Today's guest on the Baseball Happenings Podcast is Emily Walden from The Athletic, a Detroit Tigers prospect writer uh, for The Athletic and baseball america as well as national prospect writer for the athletic welcome to the show emily thank you so much i appreciate it emily i wanted to get in touch with you today about uh major league baseball's proposal to eliminate 42 minor league teams you spend extensive time covering the minor leagues and what was your first reaction when the proposal was put out there um it's definitely interesting (laughs) um it's it's something that i personally wasn't expecting as um, an option that they were going to present, but obviously Commissioner Manfred had some other ideas up his sleeve, um, and the the proposal was submitted, and so now I think it's just a matter of if he can get enough votes on the table to make it happen, or if the kickback is going to be a little too strong. So it's going to be interesting to see what route they go, and we'll just have to wait it out. What do you see as the support level uh, from major league teams? Is this truly finance-driven? I think it's kind of a broad question. Um, I think it really just depends the opinion of the ownership group as far as where they're at with, you know, their plans for their organizations and this and that. But it's it's a pretty broad thing. There's a lot of factors that tie in from minor league wages, um, for the revenue from major and minor league baseball. So it's a really it's a very broad thing. Um, but I think at the end of the day. The owners are trying to save some dollars by downsizing a bit, and it's just not being as well-received on the fan base at the end as I think they would like to see. You mentioned the idea of wages earlier this year. You put out a really deep piece uh, entitled, I Can't Afford to Play This Game. Um, Looking back on that and your experiences this year from speaking with all those minor league players, how do you see that they're affected by the low wages? Uh, it makes their lifestyle extremely difficult. Um, it's it's a very challenging aspect of their career that they've chosen. And obviously, yes, they do have a choice, but they shouldn't have to make a choice on the career that they would like to pursue based on poverty level wages. So it's something that I think a lot of people needed to hear and be educated on. And that was the main reason for writing the article. Strength is coming behind that discussion about the realities or the really harsh realities of minor league life and how you know players go for a whole season and make six thousand dollars and are expected to train and eat properly on that you know until next baseball season for many it's just uh untenable they talk about major league baseball saying well in response to raising wages we're going to have to cut teams where do you see a situation where both ways can exist where the teams can still function as well as increased wages. I don't see that happening, to be completely honest. I think the players and owners are on such different sides that I don't foresee there being a middle ground on this. I think it's going to come down to an extreme change on one end or the other. But as far as coming to an agreement, I have very little belief that that will happen. You know, from the players that you're in contact with, um, have you gotten any feedback to them about the potential loss of jobs right i can imagine a lot of young ball players are could be on edge as if it's not hard enough to keep you know a professional baseball gig and now the fact that so many slots are going to be cut off potentially um they haven't spoken too openly about it um on the record it's 
it's more just a lot of waiting, honestly. It's a lot of needing to see what the ultimate plan is going to be, and they know that they don't really have any control over it. So there's, uh, I don't think, a great deal of need for for worrying and stressing. They just have to sort of wait and see what direction organizations decide to go. Two of the teams that were named in the proposals are Tigers Farm Clubs in Erie and uh, Connecticut. Uh, What's your pulse on those organizations in the sense of, you know, from having followed them and uh, potentially visiting their stadium? Um, they're, they're very against it. <laughs> they're very against it, and they're both fighting to to make sure that they don't lose their places. Um, they're working with um, Congress to try and fight against it and obviously wanting to defend their place in the organization's farm system, and I'm working very hard to make sure that that can stay a reality. What have you gathered from those communities of, of Erie and Connecticut in terms of the following and the fan bases that are there? They're very good fan bases, um, very good fan bases. The fans and the communities are extremely grateful for having those clubs in the area, and um, hopefully it's going to be enough to convince um, Major League Baseball to keep them around. But again, like I said, we're going to have to wait and see and hope for the best with both of those different communities. You know, you mentioned the political realm. Uh, Senator Sanders has gotten involved. And, you know, even in his home state, uh, the Vermont team is one of those teams named. And for a small state like Vermont, that's their only pro sports team. You know, I can see he's very passionate about this. What do you see about that kind of involvement in terms of, you know, elected officials getting in? Do you think that's going to be enough to possibly move the needle if there's enough support from that uh, that end? You know, at this point, it's very hard to say. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to get too close to the inner workings and the, the meetings that are going on behind closed doors. But I think in general, the more voices and support of keeping the teams, the better. And we'll hope that it points the choice in the right direction and that these teams are able to stick around long term. Yeah. It's just been a really hot button a topic since it's come out and um, you know, a lot of people definitely are, are vocal about this because for many parts of the United States, uh, the minor leagues is a strong fabric of, uh, you know, those communities and the players get really, uh, you know, entrenched in those small towns that are, you know, three, four, five, six hours away from the closest major league team. How important do you feel like these minor league teams are to, you know, these small communities that they do serve? They're extremely important, and that shows through the attendance of the games and um, the way that the fans come out to show support for the players. But um, ultimately, the ownership group sees it as how is it benefiting our organization and how is it benefiting the bigger picture. So unfortunately, it has to play into their vision for the organization. And in this situation, they're having to see if that is enough. Obviously, all the communities vary. Um, in the size of attendance, depending on what league they're a part of. Um, but unfortunately, their hands are a bit tied beyond being vocal about supporting them and trying to draw support from outside um, groups and hoping that's enough to keep them. Like you said, a lot of the stuff is wait and see, and it is out of the hands of the fans because this is coming from, you know, top down. Um, you know, you've had an interesting journey in the last few years uh, yourself in terms of uh, building up. And um, what's that been like for you as, you know, you've kind of ascended the ladder in, in journalism and um, helping to, ex you know, expose prospects and, you know, the realities of minor league life? 
Yeah, it's been incredible. I'm very, very grateful to have had the opportunities I've been given. Obviously, telling the stories of the players has been huge and um, really, really an incredible opportunity for me. So I'm very, very appreciative for not only my readers, but, um, you know, just everybody who has come alongside my coverage. And uh, they've, they've been wonderful. So I really couldn't say thank you enough to everyone. You know, I almost saw the power of like the players that you cover and you've kind of come up uh, alongside them. For those that are like trying to get into uh, journalism, can you explain like what's that been like for you from like your starting point, you know, to now being able to get your position with the athletic, like in terms of that grind and, you know, doing things to get out there? Um, what's what's that process been like for you? Um, exhausting. <laughs> It's it's extremely demanding um, a path to choose, and obviously I encourage everybody who is wanting to pursue this type of a career, you have to invest 100%. You have to put everything that you have into it because it's so competitive and it's such a, a driven industry that if you can't keep up, somebody else is going to come alongside and do the work that you could be doing. Um, so it's just a matter of how much you're willing to commit and how much sacrifice you're willing to make to make that happen. There's definitely a lot of sacrifice, and that's a lot of the parallel, uh, oddly, of the players you cover, right? That it's it's like they're making tremendous sacrifices uh, at not-so-glorious wages in order to get this um, bigger payoff. The Hall of Fame vote just came out. You were pretty vocal about, uh, or passionate, I should say, about uh, Lubricker's candidacy. You know, how do you feel about him not getting in this time around? And where do you see his chances maybe a few years down the line when he comes back up again with the Eras Committee? Yeah, it was disappointing. I feel like he hasn't received the full recognition that he is due. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a very complicated process. And so, you know, you just have to hope that other people on the committee will recognize his accomplishments. And when the vote comes back around, I believe, in another three years, um, that's something that hopefully they'll recognize that time around. Really nice to see him join uh, Alan Trammell, uh, you know, together uh, reforming that double play combination, uh, you know, in Cooperstown. Your position as National Prospect Writer, I, I do a lot of work in, in the baseball card realm and, you know, reviewing a lot of products for tops and bowman and this interesting time of the year when they release like a lot of their draft and prospect sets towards the end of the season um who are a few prospects that you're excited about going into 2020 uh it's a very big question <laughs> um there's there's quite a few um coming up through the ranks obviously the padres have one of the strongest farm systems um with a great deal of depth we'll see a lot of their guys mm -hmm. coming up um, this year, um, the Angels have a few people working up. Um, obviously, the Tigers farm system has developed some really strong pitching prospects. Uh, the Blue Jays, it's, there's a lot of different teams that have people to be excited about. So I would just encourage everyone to get involved and in paying attention to the minors. It's definitely a great time to follow it. You know, a lot of collectors are really into it, too, because they're always looking, trying to get ahead of the curve of who's the next and you know, who's going to break out. And I'm sure following your column uh, is a great way for them to get involved. And uh, speaking of get involved, if the readers want to get in touch with you, what are some of the ways that they can reach out either via social media or your column? Uh, yeah, they can reach out to me. I'm on Twitter and try to stay up to responding to tweets. And yeah, check me out on there and reach out anytime.